I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back, everybody. It is your Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes, Haley Salvian with you, as always, to kick off your week in the hockey world. Coming up, our pal Dom Chichen is with us for a good chunk of the show today. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on uh, the Anaheim Ducks, maybe the New York Islanders, some mailbag questions there. Uh, Haley's team that she covers, Calgary Flames. They're in COVID protocol. They're shut down. What's the story there? Uh, do we think the Vancouver Canucks could be a legitimate playoff team under Bruce Boudreaux? They're running right now. Four straight wins. Dom will hit on that. Uh, are the eight teams that are sitting in playoff spots in the East, are they locked in right now? Like, Do we think that the eight teams in the East are locked in? Or is somebody from the outside going to be able to push in? We'll get to all of that. A little bit of multiple choice madness as well uh, coming up. It is uh, uh, Ian Mendes, Haley Salvian with you as always but like we said Haley we're bringing in a third guest here like a third but you want Dom to be like a a third host here yeah I'm sick of just talking to you every week so I figured we'd bring Dom in and you can't even pronounce his name right we've been doing this show for over a year now you told me it's like loose chicken loose chicken I feel like but you have to add you gotta say my name right yeah like you have to add the like sh not like you're you're loose chicken there we go. Say it. Dumb. That's fine. There. I nailed it. Listen, we're going to just annoy it's people dumb. with my inability to pronounce the name here. Okay? It's Dom at the Athletic. Dom at the Athletic. It's great to have you, Dom. Thanks it is, for dropping uh, It is great to be on the Canadian Dom. show. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, hey, tell you what, before we kick off this show, As a little early Christmas gift for us, if you're a fan of us with The Athletic Hockey Show, please go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating. We would certainly appreciate it. Hey, listen, I want to ask both of you a question here. And we'll use our our, our colleagues, uh, Mark Lazarus and Arpin and Sarah Sivian and Mike Russo. They dropped a joint piece uh, on The Athletic 
on Monday. Just about travel stories, nightmares, horrors, etc. And I want to ask you, last week, Haley went to Southern California. Haley, you were in LA and Anaheim, is that right? Yeah. Okay. And you may, first of all, you posted a picture from what I thought was Disney uh, Disneyland. <laughs> and then I thought for a second, Dom, I thought for a second, Haley went to Disney by herself, which I texted her and it's, I'm, that's kind of weird. Like, okay, so first question, would either of you go to an amusement park on your own? Like without any friends, you just happen to be somewhere at a, like a Six Flags or a whatever, and you, you happen to have some free time. Would either of you go to an amusement park by yourself? No, there's no chance. I feel like that's uh, an activity that you need to do with, with friends because it's more fun going with someone. I feel like an amusement park by yourself is just, it's not as, not as exciting. It's kind of sad. Like I wouldn't even, <laughs> even if you're at an amusement park with a bunch of people and nobody else wants to go on a specific ride, like I won't go on a roller coaster or ride by myself. Because then you're just like, <laughs> like beside a bunch of random people or by yourself, like you're screaming or woo. It's just weird and sad. So no, I didn't actually go into the Disney park, but there's not that much to do in Anaheim. Um, but the traffic is really bad getting out to Anaheim. So I left really early from downtown. Well, I was in Santa Monica. So I left Santa Monica early to get to Anaheim. And I was like, oh, uh, what's there to do here? And they're like, uh. You could go to Disney and there's like the little Disney downtown district that's not actually in the park. It's free admission. It's just a bunch of shops and restaurants and things to walk around and look at. So I just went and did that. Even that was a little bit like lots of couples and families, kids here. And I'm just walking around Disney by myself, like in an outfit that I can wear to the rink, like business casual attire at Disney. It was a little bit sad, but I got an ice cream. I ate it by myself, which was nice. Okay. Ice cream by yourself in downtown <laughs> Disney. That's acceptable. Now, here's my uh, last question about traveling on the road. And maybe this even applies to uh, home. Would either of you or do either of you eat dinner by yourselves? Like going out to a restaurant, eating by yourselves? I I don't. Um, I feel like. If it's like a, a burger or something or pizza, I'll go. But like actually like a sit-down restaurant, I feel I'd feel a little odd about it. There's a scene in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which I watched recently, where uh Jason Siegel's character is in Hawaii alone, um, dealing with his breakup, and he his ex is there with her new her new boo, and it's a sad time for him, and he goes to dinner alone and the the wait staff is like alone. Aren't you gonna be like bored? Like, do you want a magazine? Like <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I always thinking about. And uh, there's also that scene in Super Bad where um, they say, I don't want to eat alone. I'm going to be like a Stephen Glansberg. So <laughs> that is always running through my mind. Um, if I'm on the road, which I never am, I would probably hit up a colleague and say, hey, do you want to go for dinner? So I don't have to do it alone. I'm the Stephen Glansberg on the road. Because <laughs> your colleagues aren't always available. Like, obviously, it's nice to actually – like get to meet people or or meet up and go for dinner, get coffee, go for a drink, whatever. But sometimes if you like just have to get to the rink, like they're not always going for dinner. They're at home before the rink, whatever. So I, I go out and eat by myself. Like I'll just sit at the bar wherever I go. I'll make sure it's like casual enough that I could just sit and eat at the bar by myself and just mm -hmm. 
scroll through my phone and read stuff. I don't know. I don't think it's that bad. Like I go, I go for dinner alone all the time on the road. But yeah, I guess it could look a little like you. <laughs> do you need a magazine? Are you bored? Like I guess I just read my digital online magazine. <laughs> you go on TikTok Twitter. at the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, can you, with the TikTok, like without headphones on, <laughs> just mm-hmm. playing the audio out loud. Yeah. But no, I don't think it's that bad on the road. Let me ask you if this is weird. So I, I just want to pass on my one weird travel story. And you tell me if this was a weird move by me or not. I was covering the NHL lockout in 2012, the, the winter of 2012. So I actually spent New Year's Eve in Manhattan. I was at the Westin Times Square, right in downtown, right in the, the heart of it all, right in midtown Manhattan. And of course, they have the ball dropping and everything. I was exhausted from a day of standing outside and doing this stuff. I went to bed at about 1030 at night in Times Square on New Year's Eve and actually woke up to the sound of the cheering outside and the and the ball dropping and all that. Is that weird? Was that weird of me to go to bed in midtown Manhattan on New Year's Eve at 1030 p.m.? I feel like New Year's is overrated, so yeah. no. Um, maybe like a little bit because you're in New York and obviously they have the, the big ball drop or whatever and – but are you going to go watch that alone? Are you going to go stand outside in Times Square? Can you yeah. imagine Ian standing in Times Square alone? Like he watches <laughs> the ball drop. Well, yeah, vibes by himself, watches the ball drop and goes like, all right. And then walks <laughs> yeah. back to his hotel. Like what's the difference? <laughs> yeah. With with my 2013 glasses on yeah. back in the day. Yeah. I didn't I don't do know. It, so. I feel like you made the right play going to bed. <laughs> yeah. I think so too. And yeah, okay. New Year's is kind of dumb. I don't. I stay up late all the time, but on New Year's, I can't, I always pass out before midnight. I think that's for other reasons. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. What are you no. trying to say? <laughs> no, I can. Big party animal no, on New I... Year's, probably also alone. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. As soon as it came, I'm like, wow, that was vicious. Right. Listen, let, let's get back. On, let's, let's talk about something that brings everybody together. It's Bruce Boudreaux. Bruce Boudreaux, mm-hmm. everyone loves Bruce, right? He's Vancouver fans love him. They've won four in a row. Listen, let let Dom, let me let me start with you on this one because I I think it feels like there's a little bit of a change in Vancouver that you know they've won four games in a row. I mean, are we now thinking that the Vancouver Canucks can legitimately maybe challenge for a playoff spot now? Um, maybe. I think it's always good to be optimistic. Uh. They're off to a 4-0 start. Always nice. Their playoff chances have tripled since he's arrived, so that's always good. Uh, the only difference is that it's gone from 1% to uh, 3%. So that is the issue, but uh, my model does not account for coaching. So if there is some Bruce Boudreau magic, which I believe there is, then that's probably underselling it, but it would still take a lot for them to go on this epic run to make the playoffs. Um I looked into all of that in 16 stats last week, and even if the Canucks play like a 105-point team, their chances are 43% from this point onward, which is very good, but that's such a high bar for a team that, before Boudreaux arrived, did not look very good at all. And I mean, does the fact that, and maybe you can even argue this too, because I don't know if you actually think that the Pacific's been better than we thought, but... 
I think so. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at it right now, um, and it's going to change, um, but the Ducks are leading the Pacific by points. The Flames have the best points percentage, but you've got like the Ducks, the Flames, um, Edmonton, all kind of close in terms of the points that they have right now. Vegas is going to get better. The Sharks have been probably better than we thought. Does the fact that the Pacific isn't as easy as we projected make it even more difficult for Vancouver? Because it's not like they just need to climb out of the basement of a really terrible division. Yeah, I think so. And it's especially also in the Central as well, because odds are Vancouver is not making the third seed in the Pacific. They are going to have to also compete with Winnipeg, who will start turning things around. The Stars, who were red hot until they slumped a bit. And Nashville, who never seems to go away. Uh, so it's it's going to be a big log jam in the middle, and maybe Vancouver makes it a bit more interesting than we thought they would a couple weeks ago. But at the same time, it's just a, such an uphill battle that the odds are really stacked against them. You know, I think it's interesting that you say uh, one of the tricky things to try and uh, to put into your model is coaching. Like, like, could you give our listeners a little sense of how difficult that is to quantify coaching? Like, do you look at, uh, like, is it like player deployment, like old coach versus new coach? Is there like, is there a way to quantify coaching changes? Is that, is that why it's such a challenge? I, I don't do it. Cause I don't even know where to begin. I know Micah McCurdy, who you may know on Twitter as ineffective math has, coaching built into his model and he does some things measuring sorry trying to separate the coach effect from the player effects and how good the coach makes each player and it's really interesting stuff I just I wouldn't know how to do it myself and I think he had Boudreaux as a pretty good coach who will improve offense a lot but not so much as defense he had a good thread on Twitter today as well that sort of dives into the effects that you can expect from Boudreaux but I, I generally just don't know how to separate it uh, myself. So above my pay grade. <laughs> Gosh. With the Canucks, like, do you think that some of what was going wrong, and I know you can't quantify coaching, but like you just look at some of the players who individually were having difficult seasons within the system. Like, Do you think there's just players who are bound to bounce back that your model rated pretty highly before the season? Like Elias Pettersson, you know, he didn't look like – an elite player to start the year. Um, what do you think about some of those players bouncing back? Yeah, I think they all should. And especially on a new coach, it's always easier because your mind hits the the reset button and tries to impress a new coach. Um, part of the Boudreaux effect is that the teams he took over midway through the season, the stars were playing so uncharacteristically bad that there's a natural bump just from them getting back to where they should be. So Ovechkin was fine, but he wasn't at his peak self. Uh, Backstrom was playing terribly. Uh, Alex Semin wasn't doing much. Mike Green wasn't Mike Green yet until Bruce Boudreaux came along. And then in Anaheim, Getzlaff, Perry, Bobby Ryan, Lumir Viznovsky, all those guys were playing terribly. And then Boudreaux came in and they looked a lot closer to their usual self. And I don't think the entire effect of that is on Boudreaux, but I think he helped get those players back to where they should be because when you're in that kind of mental funk, it is really difficult to get out of if it's the same thing over and over again from a coach that maybe his message isn't hitting the way it used to. You know, let, let, let's talk about uh, Bruce Boudreaux's old team for a second, Dom, and that is the Minnesota Wild, who I think are one of the best. And listen, we all know your affinity 
uh, for the Wild, uh, sitting in first place. I, it's amazing. Like If you had told me at the start of the year we'd be closing in on Christmas and it would be Minnesota-Nashville 1-2 in the Central, I'd be like, whoa, what happened here? But this is this is where we're sitting. Uh, I mean, can, can Minnesota keep this up and can they potentially even challenge for the President's, uh, president's Trophy here? Can I just talk about a, a pet peeve of mine? I don't mean to pick on Ian, but... Yeah. Uh, Colorado's second in the Central because they have a much higher points percentage than Nashville. I think the three games in hand Nashville has to have one more point, I don't think we can say, like, and this happens all the time in hockey where people go by points when there's uneven games played, and it it always annoys me. And I'm going to call you out, Ian, so you never do this again on the Athletic Hockey Show. Yeah. Um, because you <laughs> see in baseball, they sort by points percentage, and for some reason, NHL.com does not. They sort by points when I think that is... A bit, I, I hate it. So, either way, okay, your point still stands because Nashville being that high in general was not something any of us expected. We all thought they would be a lot worse. We thought this was the year that they would fall apart and start rebuilding and all that. But yeah, it is very surprising to see both of them ahead of uh, certain other teams in the Central. I mean. It seems like Wild fans are really mad at you, Dom. They are the... They can never be mad at me. Uh, I read the comments of the recent power rankings. Those aren't real Wild fans. They don't know me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were, were they third and everyone's freaking out that they're only the third best team in the league? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I understand uh, <laughs> where they're coming from because the Wild were on a, a huge hot streak and... They want the respect they deserve. I thought third was a pretty strong place to put the wild, but the comments on the power rankings are always they're always something because teams team fans just love their team and want respect and want to be rated as high as possible, even though there is the power rankings curse where the minute we give that team the respect they deserve, they fall back to where they should have been all along. Didn't you finally get on the Islanders wagon this season? Oh yeah, that was that was a good time. Um, to be honest, I I'm living for this because the Islanders. I don't. I don't. They're not boring, but the way they play playoff hockey makes me a bit angry sometimes. And just the way, like obviously, me and the Islanders have a contentious past, and I think everything came around once I started giving the Islanders a bit more credit as their run went along. But that doesn't mean I can't have some Schadenfreude at the the fact their team is finally not looking as good as I guess their underlying their their underlying numbers have always suggested they're not that great, and now they're finally reaping what they sow. You know what? I, I got to jump ahead to a mailbag question here because it just ties in perfectly for you, Dom. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a, a tweet come in from Corey who asked, "Can you please ask Dom why he hates us Islanders fans? He had to know." what projecting us to be good was going to do to our season. So you need to answer to Corey here for a second, since we're uh, talking Islanders here. Uh, did you did you purposely do this to them with your, uh, with your preseason uh, ranking for them? Uh, no, and it's not like I feel like people think that I'm the only one doing this, and there's so many other people. There's Vegas odds makers, and in the past, they didn't believe in the Islanders either. And now I think everyone did. So I think maybe it was the Islanders always having to prove themselves, always having to prove themselves. This year was the first year they really didn't. And maybe that had this adverse 
reaction to how they actually play, but I really don't think me thinking they would win the division this year was the reason they are at the bottom instead. And it's still still early. Um, they had dealt with a lot of COVID stuff. They dealt with injuries. They are still getting used to a brand new arena where they're one five and two. So I think out of all the Eastern teams near the bottom, they're one of the teams that can make a run. But they've also they've looked pretty awful to start this year so far. Can you maybe take listeners through who maybe don't understand just the process for your power rankings? Because I think a lot of people expect it to just be the NHL standings. And when it's not, they get really upset. Um, Mm -hmm. I know you guys battle with the Blues fans a lot. Uh, Really, the whole comment section is just people being angry about one specific thing. So can you maybe explain how you guys do these power rankings? Um. Basically, how it goes is that in the morning on Thursday, I will sort of do a ranked order of how teams are rated in my model, their actual record in the standings, and then I will put a little bit of weight on their 5-on-5 expected goals percentage, just in case there's a team that is really dominating but maybe hasn't gotten the results yet. And I weigh my model the most, but the other two do get some weight. And then from there, I just go by the vibes a bit and put teams up or down a couple spots in case I think maybe it's too high and I don't want to get yelled at this week. And I put that on our Google spreadsheet. And then Sean, about seven hours later, will be like, ah, it's time to rank. And he will go in (laughs) and he will never put his rankings first. It'll always be my rankings first. He's like, okay, Dom did this. I'll I'll maybe it was like one team higher, one team a little (laughs) lower. And... Just not to make it look too obvious, you know? And then mm-hmm. he puts his rankings, and I, I assume he agrees with me perfectly because we're both smart and know exactly what we're doing. But it is funny that he's always second, and it's always not too far off. Like, I want to argue with him. I want him to be like, I think this team is 12 spots higher. I think you're out of your mind. And <laughs> it never happens that way. I think we agree a little too much sometimes. But it's okay because it's a, it's a good vibe so far. But that's... That's basically the process um, that we go through every Thursday. And then for some reason, we do these power rankings Thursday night when there are 12 games on and there'll be games where the rankings change and literally halfway through writing, like, oh, should this team be able to hire? And we go, yeah, sure, whatever. And that's actually part of the reason that the Wild were third is that I think they won their eighth in a row Thursday night and... I don't think we ended up moving them because I think Florida and Tampa both also won. And I guess we like them a bit more to start anyways. And that is, that's how the secret sauce gets made. And that's why you ditch us for the American show sometimes now. I don't, I don't think I've been on the American show. I think I was supposed to be and I just didn't. Oh, did we shame you out of it? Uh, no, I would have gone on regardless. But I think they, they big time me and got a better guest. Well, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, we don't we don't like that show over here. I, you guys have done that to me too. We don't big we have, time you. We 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 have. That's that. We've happened. used you as a as a safety uh, as, as a, a safety, safety net. Guest. Yeah, it's fine. I'm not doing <laughs> exactly. anything on Mondays. It's cool. Hey, uh, I, I want I do want to ask both of you about something that's kind of cropped up here in the last week in the NHL, and it's kind of reintroduced the debate about hitting. And uh, body checking, and and it, and you go back to last week, and Jacob Truba hit um, Jujar Karia 
Uh, and unfortunately, he had to leave the ice. Caria did on a stretcher. Then on Sunday, we had another scary moment. And that was Avs defenseman Jake McDonald. Uh, hit by uh, Ryan Lomberg of the Panthers. Another clean hit. Not penalized. But now we're, we're reopening the debate here. Because we're seeing, I think, what are legally termed as clean hits. Ending with very uh, almost catastrophic results. Do either of you feel like there needs to be a change, that the game is so fast that maybe there needs to be a change? Or are you both okay with, hey, if it's a legal hit, the head's not targeted, it's okay. Unfortunately, there's going to be some some things like this that happen. No, it's not okay to see players laying on the ice like that for quote-unquote legal hits. If that is the end result, they should not be legal. And if the head is not the principal point of the contact, but it's still a large point of contact, I think that is a problem. And we have so much research now on hits to the head and the adverse effects it has after a player's career is over, during a player's career. There's so many things we don't know about what a player, what players deal with in terms of head trauma throughout a season. And if there is a way to minimize that, I think the league should be proactive in that regard. And I think in football, you're not allowed to hit a defenseless receiver. And in hockey, your head's down. It's like, keep your head up. It's like, that's such a barbaric, archaic way to go about things. Don't Mm -hmm. hit a guy with his head down because you may literally have him stretchered off the ice. And I have not liked seeing that twice in one week, almost three times, because Jacob Truba the very next night did it to Nathan McKinnon as well. Yeah. I... And I, what I also don't like is the argument against it saying, oh, well, if you take this out, you take hitting out of hockey. It's a contact sport. It's like, no, it's not that black and white. This is one specific gray area where you don't hit a vulnerable player. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, it's hard to look at these hits and say and call it a clean hit. Like, a, mm-hmm. a, a human being just got stretched off the ice. Like, Jujar Kara was in the hospital, and this is not the first time that he's been – unconscious on a sheet of ice in the last year. Um, He got into a fight with Brett Ritchie here in Calgary last season. uh, And he was, it was scary. Like he was basically out cold, needed help getting off the ice. He didn't get stretchered off, but like that's a player with a history of concussions and it's scary to see them just laying there like that. And it is like barbaric to say, well, oh, well, well, he should have kept his head up. Or, well, it was a clean hit, so nothing we can do. Like, that that, that man's in the hospital right now. <laughs> Feels like our definition of what is clean hit and what's legal hit probably needs to change. Like, incidental contact or the head not being the principal point of contact, I, I, don't, I don't know if that should matter if the end result is a person being in the hospital with potential, you know, long-term issues that we won't know yet. I, I just... Yeah, and if you're the person replying to a tweet, um, blaming the person who's laying motionless on the ice for for putting their head down for a split second, mm-hmm. uh, it feels like you need to change your perspective on things because it's it's just gross seeing how many people like blame the guy who just got put into a hospital or on a yeah. stretcher for what yeah, just happened and, to them. And I think, like Dom said, it's it's not a black or white. We can live in the gray area here and we can keep hitting and physicality mm-hmm. in hockey while removing some of these things. And I do think that it's a product of we've, the game has never been this fast. The players have never been this skilled and the players have never been this big. Like, so 
you may not have had this 30 or 40 years ago, but we have it now. And, and we need to, I think we do need to address it. I don't, I don't think we ever want to get to a point where I think two players stretchered off in the same week should probably raise some mm-hmm. uh, red flags for us. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to see a point where it, it look, there's a difference between hitting to separate somebody from the puck and then hitting the hurt. And, you know, and I, and I think that's the line we got to draw. Like, like, the old school Scott Stevens lining him up. That was a different era. And I, I just don't want to see it. I, I think there is a way to, to find the gray area where you keep hitting in the game, but you remove people being stretchered off the ice. And mm-hmm. it's going to be a work in progress. It's going to take some time. But I think it's it, we have to change our mentality, I think, as hockey fans of, of the way that we view the game. And, 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 and I, I really appreciate, Dom, you using the, the analogy of, in the NFL, when a wide receiver goes over the middle and gets cleaned out, you very rarely will hear somebody, an announcer, a fan say, well, they should have had their head up. They should have known what was coming. Like you, you don't usually hear that defense, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's the type of thing we need to sort of maybe change in, in hockey. Take out the mentality of blaming someone for having their head down, looking at looking to see where the puck might be. Well, it's the old school mentality in the game, right? And it's it's not the same, but it goes back to like some of the discourse over the Zegris Milano goal the other day of like, and it wasn't just John Tortorella. I know he took the most heat for it. Um, but, you know, I, there was people being like, oh, back in the old days, you did that. You'd get your head taken off. It's like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, yeah, skilled play. Like, let's go murder this guy because he has great hands. Like that mentality in the sport that the answer to something that pisses you off is to <laughs> potentially severely injure a player. It's just we need to get rid of that. If you don't have the hands to pull off that goal, you don't have, you don't have to take his head off because you got embarrassed by a rookie. Let's yeah. let's maybe stop with that. It's it's bullshit. It's way too old school. And hitting's fine. I'm not saying get rid of hitting and fighting. Do it. It's fine. But let's stop injuring people here. That's not how you grow. That's not how you grow the game. And I guess just back to to these hits to the head. You know, getting away from the Zegra school because I think the discourse around that is silly. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I thought it was all a little bit overblown. But you know, I think um, there are people who will bring up you know the fact that say the Nathan McKinnon hit. Um, it is the you know he it was a hit to the to the head. You don't want to see that, but I guess the argument would just be like, that's Nathan McKinnon. He's in the slot. You want to do something to, to get him out of that position. Um, so that's probably playing devil's advocate there, but then, you know, the, the, the hit to Jujar Kara is an open ice. So there's, there's more context to some of these incidents, but I just don't know how we can see, uh, the result and justify it at all. Like Nathan McKinnon's in the slot. You want to, you want to move him out of the, that area. You want to stop him from scoring, but like, look at what happened. So, I don't know. I think know. the thing – sorry to cut you off. I no, think the thing ahead. with Truba is with both those hits, he finishes high. Mm-hmm. He does not go through the body. He goes up high and finishes so that the head is the final point of contact. And I think mm-hmm. that is the thing that's bothered me about both those hits is that if he did not do that, I think there would have been not as drastic a result maybe. Yeah, and if you want to stop a guy from scoring, like be in a better defensive position or, yeah, finish through the body, like put your stick in the lane, block the shot. Don't don't finish. Yeah, there's legal, safe ways to stop Nathan McKinnon from scoring. 
Um, and again, I keep going on these little asides, but I think we've kind of seen a, it's not the same because it's not a hit to the head, but you know, with PK Subban, it's what, like seven, <laughs> six, seven slew foots this season. Yep. And I don't know if that's like a player who's just like thinking dirty or if it's just a player who's lost a step and that's like his automatic response to like, oh crap, like this guy's going to probably score on me. He's going to get by me. Like, what am I going to do? And you just automatically go to something like that because you're out of position. Um, I'm not justifying that in any case, but it's just like there's legal ways that you can stop players from scoring against you without, you know, doing stuff like that. <laughs> just be in better position. <laughs> don't hit the guy in the head or slew foot them. I don't know. Yeah. I don't play though, so who knows? <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, why don't we keep Dom around here because I did the solicit some mailbag questions directed at uh, him and all of us. Uh, this one here is from uh, Raphael who wants to know, uh, Dom, are the ducks for real? Are the Anaheim ducks for real? Uh, when will they inevitably go back to being the terrible team we all expected? I I don't think they're going back to the terrible team we expect. I think that they're probably not this good. But going forward, I, I would expect them to be pretty average because I think a lot of what we've seen this year is for real. They're a above average expected goals team. They are they're getting elite goaltending, which is not unexpected with John Gibson and Nett. And I think a lot of credit needs to go to Dallas Akins for the system he's implemented to get the most out of a lot of players. The big thing for me is that Troy Terry, Trevor Zegers, Sonny Milano, Jamie Drysdale have taken massive leaps this season. They're all young players, and they may not stay at this current elite level, but they are playing legitimately well, and I think they're real top line or top pair assets now, which is not something we expected before the season started. So just that jump alone is enough to think this team isn't going back to being a bottom five team. But on top of that, there's all these older players who look a lot closer to the players they used to be. So Ryan Getzlaff, Renaissance season, is playing Unreal with Terry. Then on the back end, you have Hampus Lindholm, Cam Ballard, Josh Manson, all playing like top four defensemen again. Uh, Ricard Raquel has been unreal next to Milano and Zegris, and that line has been one of the best in the NHL. So all those things are going well for the Ducks, and they all seem believable that I don't think they're going back to being the third worst team that many expect them to be. And I think a playoff spot is legitimately up for grabs for them. Haley, you, you watched the Ducks in person 
recently in Anaheim. You've seen them. You cover that division. Are they a playoff team in the Pacific for you? That I don't know just because, you know, are, are they going to be in a wild card spot or are they going to be one of the teams coming out of that division? I mean, the flame, by points percentage, it's, you know, Flames are still top of the division. Uh, Edmonton has, I I mean, they have McDavid and Drysdale. You assume that they're going to take one of those spots. And Vegas is going to get Jack Eichel, and, and they're already starting to play better. So I would kind of assume that those are the one, two, three teams coming out of that division, and I believe that's what Dom's probabilities have it as. I Last time I checked, all three of them had about a 30 to 33% chance at winning the division, and they all had like 90 to 93% chances at getting into the first round of the playoffs. So if the Ducks make it, I don't think it's as a top three team in, in the Pacific, but that doesn't mean that this isn't a successful season for them when you just look at where they were and where they were projected to be. I think watching them play and and they're here next week as well. So next Tuesday they're they're coming here. So it'll be the third time the Flames play against them and they play, you know, with a lot of pace. Like they're a really fast team. They play a kind of run and gun style. Their D's are super active and they they generate a ton of chances and I mean their their young players are are really fun to watch. I mean, that goal aside, Trevor Egress is is an exciting rookie. Um, he's a super skilled player, and you can just tell that he's going to be a big piece of that team for a while. Um, you don't need me to tell you that. I think it's pretty clear to anyone who's seen that team play. Um, so I think they've been impressive. They play they play a really fun game, and that's again, like Dom said, it's it's a credit to to the coaching staff. And but you know, I don't think they're a top three team in the division, but that doesn't mean that. You know, they're not a good team, and this this season won't be a success for the Anaheim Ducks. So, uh, real quick here, as we're talking about Anaheim, the one name we didn't drop there was Troy Terry. Uh, another two-goal performance for him on Sunday, including the overtime winner in a penalty shot. I ask you this, Dom. He's got 16 goals. Can Troy Terry, can he get to 30 goals this season? Do you think he hits the 30-goal plateau? Yeah, I think so. I think even after his start, uh, obviously he would slow down, but I think around 65, 70 points is definitely in play. And the way he scores goals, 30 is definitely going to be a big part of getting there. So I think he, I think he does it as some at the athletic might say, <laughs> or I say he does it. Sorry. I say he does it. Yeah. Myrtle. I like it. All right. Some more uh, questions to get into the mailbag. Uh, actually, I'd be curious to get Dom's opinion on this because, you know, Haley, we cover the Kachuk brothers, uh, both of us, and me in Ottawa with Brady, you in Calgary with Matthew. Peter wants to know which Kachuk brother is better right now and which Kachuk brother do you think will be better in three years from now? Dom, since you get to uh, kind of watch both of these guys from afar, which Kachuk better, uh, brother is better to you right now, Matthew or, or Brady? I think Brady has played well, but let's be real here. Um, it's still Matthew. He's done it for longer. He's playing better. His underlying numbers are stronger. He's possessing the puck better. And it's nice that Brady's finally getting the production um, requisite of a top-line player, but I don't think he's on Matthew's level just yet. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Brady's great. I, I covered the Sens, too, before I came here to Calgary, and, and he's a great player. I wrote a story when I was still in Ottawa about, you know, yeah, they're not getting Alexi Lafreniere, but like they probably have their cornerstone piece already in Brady Kachuk. Like this is a guy who could 
you know, be a captain, which he is, and be a, a core piece to a successful team. Um, he has all those intangibles. He's he's a good player. He's going to be, you know, a, a solid power forward in this league for a long time. Um, but like, he still hasn't scored more than twenty two goals in his career. So like, I he has eleven goals in twenty two games this year. So he's on pace to have a career year in that respect. But I don't think we can look at Brady and say that he's better than Matthew when you just look at the sample size and the body of work that Matthew Kachuk has. He's on one of the best lines in hockey. He's an elite player by most metrics. He had one down season. Let's uh, not – I don't know. I, I, don't think, I don't think it's a debate right now. And I, I don't think that should be offensive to say Brady's great. <laughs> it shouldn't. Um, I have – I just checked right now, and I have Matthew worth 1.5 wins and Brady worth 0.7. So Brady's on pace to be a top-line forward at 2.4 wins, but Matthew's playing elite right now. Uh, just to follow up on that, Chris has a question, uh, I think more kind of specifically for you, Dom, just following up on that. Uh, Chris says, hey, I'm interested in your opinion on the Ottawa Senators top line becoming a legitimate top line at playoff time. I'm very interested in Dom's opinion since he's the premier numbers guy around here. I feel like Josh Norris could maybe turn into like a Bergeron O'Reilly type. Love your opinion on that. That is from Chris. So Chris wants to know, Brady Kachuk, and Josh Norris and Drake Batherson, could they be a legitimate number one line down the road? Dom. I I think so, but it's tricky. Right now I have them ranked as an average top line. And I think that despite the points, they there's still a ways to go in terms of influencing play at five on five. Uh, Batherson has been amazing. He's been the best player on the line. He's the guy I'd be most optimistic about. But a guy like Josh Norris... I mean, my model likes him a fair bit, but I've talked to other people in the NHL uh, who have access to better data and who have their own models. And they have multiple times asked me what the deal is with Josh Norris. Why do his public stuff like, like him so much? Because they don't see that much with him. So I don't know if a Bergeron type is a bit too high of a ceiling for him, but there might be a thing where he's not as good as he seems according to at least people in the NHL who have access to, to better stuff than, than I do. And I think what we always, at least what I was always told when I was still covering the team and obviously projecting a prospect and analyzing what he is now that he's in the NHL is different. But what I'd always been told from sources and people on the record, I mean, Troy Mann, the, the coach in Belleville, you know, I, I think everyone wants to say, like, you know, sky's the limit for this guy if he keeps on improving and keep working. Um, but I think most people would have said that he, on a contending team, Josh mm -hmm. Norris is a second-line center. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Okay, got another question here from Michael, who wants to know, who do you think's the biggest omission ever from an Olympic team or a national team? That's So Michael is asking, who do you think's the biggest omission Ever. And if you guys want to maybe play, Dom, I know you've you've done some work in terms of maybe even trying to project who might make, uh, you know, U.S. and Canada rosters. So maybe if you want to even look ahead and say, like, I have a feeling this this guy's going to be an omission. Uh, we can take this question any way that we want. You know the one I'm going to say, though, for the biggest omission ever? I feel like Steven Stamkos getting left off the team in Vancouver in 2010 was big. But remember, Steven scored tw uh, 50 goals that year and was off the Olympic team. And ever <laughs> since then... He's had this, this terrible luck when it comes to the Olympics because 2014, he broke his leg, 
just before the Olympics and, uh, and, and wasn't able to go. And then 2018, again, I think he was uh, banged up. Uh, or sorry, no, 2018 was when they, the NHLers skipped the Olympics. And now mm-hmm. this year, it feels like he might be a bubble guy. I don't know. He'd be on my I think team. He's on I think team. I, I, he'd be on my team, but I, I don't know if he's a, a lock. But I've always thought that, man, the guy scored 50 goals in his season and he, he didn't make the Olympic team. So I've always been a, a guy that thought Stamkos should have been on the 2010, 2010 team. But I don't know what if either of you have an answer in terms of biggest snub ever from a national team. I mean, on the Stamkos conversation, wasn't he basically left off for Chris Kunitz? I think that was in 2014. But but no, he Kunitz, broke his leg. No, Kunitz so, was 2010. Uh, Kunitz was, was 2014, he? wasn't it? I think it was 2014. N- no, yeah. that was that was the golden goal. No, 2010 was the golden goal. 2010 was the golden goal. I think wasn't 2010, Kunitz... the controversial one at the time was Bergeron. Oh, right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Kunitz was 2014. Stamkos didn't have a chance in 2014 because he broke his leg. Yeah. Uh, just before the Olympics. But 2010, he was like this. Yeah. Even Crosby getting left off in 06 was always a bit That's of a. That's the one I was thinking for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that there was like a lot of. And yeah, Kunitz was 2014. My bad. Um, not that I needed to confirm for you guys. Um, yeah. I was going to say Crosby being left off that roster. That was. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that pretty controversial at the time? Everyone was like, what the heck happened here? What, how, how can you leave this guy off? He, he got the taxi squad. Remember the taxi squad? Mm. What he did you say, to- Dom? They, that Canada team got what they deserved. They <laughs> got embarrassed in the Olympics because they built this archaic team and then they learned their lesson for 2010. 2014, uh, I think the biggest snub I can remember was Chris Kunitz for Claude Giroux. I think Claude Giroux was... Right. I mean, the baton was passed as the best player in the league, and there he was not on the Olympic team. Yeah, you're right. And I think in 2006, they took Todd Bertuzzi, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, they took Todd Bertuzzi in 2006 and didn't take Sid. Uh, wasn't, wasn't Gretzky one of the ones making some of those decisions? Mm-hmm. Isn't that why a lot of people were really mad? It's just like, what is Wayne doing? I'm going to leave Crosby home. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more. Let me go. One more question uh, from the mailbag here. Michael wants to know what is your favorite Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor? Cherry like, Garcia. I, I, yeah, it's got to be Cherry Garcia, doesn't it? The dairy. Well, it's the almond milk Cherry Garcia. It's the dairy free one. I is that is that a cherry ice cream? Because I think the name is better than the actual ice cream there. Yeah, it's it like cher- vanilla. Cherry and it's vanilla with little cherries. chocolate chunks and cherries. I, I just hate uh, I hate cherries in general, so that, that that one does not do it for me. I'm going with a classic chocolate chip cookie dough because that's just my favorite for every ice cream ever. Mm-hmm. There's a really good ice cream place down the street from me. It's called Made by Marcus, mm-hmm. and there's this rivalry between the two ice cream places. Like most, pe- a lot of people think Made by Marcus is the best. A lot of people think Village is the best, and I still haven't gone to Village because it doesn't. It's not like right down the street, but Bono loves Made by Marcus. When we walk by, he like sits down out front and he won't leave because he knows they give little pup cups. So they'll give mm. dogs like a little bit of soft serve ice cream and he loves it. So Bono, Bono's answer to this question is not Ben and Jerry's, but yeah. it's uh, the Made by Marcus vanilla soft serve. Bono's my dog know you, for anyone listening. Yeah, it's good to know you're going to dinner not alone in Calgary. Uh, there you go. 
Yeah, it's fine. Because you got Bono. I go places Bono. with yeah. my dog. Yeah, everyone loves Bono. Um, it's really cold here now, so like everyone, I feel like anyone's driving by or walking by just sees me like carrying my dog home all the time because <laughs> it's so cold. He'll just sit and be like, nope, I'm done. It's too cold. So we keep our walks around the block now. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right. You know what, Haley? We were only going to have Dom for like part of the show. Let, let, let's just have him stick around for the whole thing. This has been fantastic. The hour has flown by. So, Dom, we're going to invite you in for a little multiple-choice madness to wrap up the show like we always do on Monday. So i got three questions. We got multiple options for each of them. Here we go. Number one, which comment from John Tortorella bothered you more from his time as an ESPN studio analyst so far this season? Is it A, him saying he wasn't sure if Trevor, uh, Trevor Zegers' crazy assist was, quote, good for the game, or B, Tort saying that Connor McDavid needs to just, quote, shut up about not getting penalty calls from refs. Dom, if you had to pick one that kind of irked you a little bit more, was it Zegris about not being good for the game or McDavid maybe needing to zip it? Which one bothered you more from towards? Uh, they're both incredibly terrible. Um, if there is a top two or bottom two quotes in this league from anyone, I think Torts has a good chance to be both of them with those. And they both come from the same place, which is Torts deciding what's good for the game when he is historically been what's bad for the game. I can't remember the last watchable Tortorella team. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets Tortorella experience was awful. Uh, the way he especially played in the playoffs and towing the line of what is legal and what's not, it's no surprise that he would tell McDavid to just shut up and play through penalties when that's pretty much how he coached his teams to play, is air on that line of the refs aren't going to call it. But with that in mind, I still think it's the Zegras quote because it is one of the most fun things that's happened in the NHL in a long time. You have Michael B. Jordan posting <laughs> on social media about hockey. And we're 
letting a dinosaur like Tortorella say dictate what's good or bad from the game when I don't think I've seen the NHL get as much exposure in a while than that play. And there needs to be more of those plays. Yeah, I'm probably going to go with the McDavid one just and I think they're both bad. I agree with Dom. I, I thought the Zegers one's silly because it is good for the game. It's really fun. But like I just I thought it was part of a conversation where like this is, you know, a, a studio show. They're debating stuff, whatever. Like he's and, and he wasn't like, you know, this wasn't like a Stephen A. Smith yelling or screaming at like screaming at cloud. You could say it's, he's not saying like, get this out of the game. It's terrible. He he said multiple times. It was fun. It was skilled. The fact that Sonny Milano even did that while he's screaming the Michigan screaming Michigan is impressive. It's fun. It's skilled. Like he said it a bunch of times. So he obviously agrees it's good for the game. And then he was like, but I just wonder if it's he he agreed that it was fun and skilled, but he's like, but I just wonder if it's good because you want to play hard and fast. And there's so many coaches in the NHL. If you went and asked them like, you know, what's, what's going to win the Stanley cup, they're going to say playing hard and fast. So I, I disagreed. I think it's good for the game, but I didn't think that take was as crazy as a lot of people made it out to be. I think telling Connor McDavid to shut up uh, is stupid. And then McDavid was asked about <laughs> the penalties the other day, and he even said, like, well, I'm supposed to shut up about this, so I'm not going to comment. So it's just like these quotes are either telling a player to, like, stop playing with skill and fun or telling the best player in the world to shut up, and now he's like even more quiet and says even less in a press conference. I just so, but I think the McDavid one's worse. They're both bad, um, but the McDavid one is worse, especially when you see McDavid being—I'm not going to say boring, but saying even less in a media conference. Yeah. All right. Next. Okay. Next question here. Multiple choice madness here. There's eight teams currently holding down playoff spots in the East as follows. Florida, Toronto, Tampa, Washington, Carolina, the Rangers, Pittsburgh, and Boston. My question is, it's not even Christmas, but have we locked down the eight teams? Are, are the eight teams in the East all locked in? Or does one of maybe, maybe Detroit's kind of punched above their weight. Do they hang around? Does Do the Islanders rise up, Philly? So I ask you this, are we locked in with the eight teams? Right now, or is there going to be at least one change? Yes or no? Dom, are we locked in? The combined chances of Detroit, Ottawa, Montreal, Buffalo, the Islanders, Philly, the Devils, and the Blue Jackets is 25%. Combined? Lowest combined. Wow. The lowest team right now is the Rangers at 89%, and the other seven are all above 94. I think this is pretty close to locked in. Man. Have we ever seen like have we ever seen this before before Christmas where basically eight teams have a ninety percent chance of making the playoffs? I not that I've seen in my time <laughs> doing it, and that doesn't mean a team can't go on a run. I again do believe the Islanders now that no one believes in them will start doing things worthwhile. But it's a very it's gonna be a very tough road ahead for them. I agree. Really, we locked in. We locked in in the East. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have nothing of value to add. I'm just, I agree. That's going to be Dom. the clip for our, our promo <laughs> for the show. I have nothing of value to add. I mean, people already know it. I read the comments. I see the tweets. I know. Yeah, don't what give you guys them any more ammunition. <laughs> well, what am I supposed to say? Yeah. 
Yas queen. Thank you. Analyze that exactly correct, Dom. You are freaking smart. You are so great. Oh my god! Thank I think, you. I think we're locked in. I'm glad you're here. I couldn't have said any of that better myself. Yeah, I just I I don't see like the Islanders. There's just too much. That would have been my pick, but there's just too much real estate to make up, right? Like mm-hmm. at this stage of the game. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. The the teams that are in have enough cushion to continue to be in, barring injury or crazy, you know, implosion. Yeah, th- this is going to break. I think the Flyers have had an eleven year, nine or ten or eleven year run of alternating in the playoffs, out of the playoffs, in the playoffs, out of the playoffs. This would be the first time they miss in back-to-back years. But I I just don't see them mm-hmm. bouncing back here either, right? Like so. No. Yeah. I thought it was really funny this summer that the Flyers and the Flames were in pretty similar positions in terms of like things aren't working. We've both been middle of pack in the playoffs, out of the playoffs, going to be good, going to be bad. And then the Flames kind of stood pat mostly because a lot of their players didn't have proper trade value and the Flyers went and made all these changes. They did completely different things and both teams are going in completely different directions. And I thought it was really funny. I saw a tweet from Charlie O'Connor, our lovely Flyers writer in the summer saying like, what are the Flames doing? Aren't they supposed to be making changes? And then the Flyers went and made all these changes and they're still bad. I think it hurts that their biggest change was getting Ryan Ellis, who has played like five games. Um, and their second biggest change was targeting Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh, good job, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. One last uh, uh, question for you in multiple choice madness here on this Monday. Bobby Orr, who is, I think, certainly in the conversation to be the greatest hockey player of all time, has apparently joined social media on the weekend, creating a Twitter account. Are either of you going to sauce Bobby Orr a follow here? Yes or no? Would you follow Bobby Orr on Twitter? Haley? Uh, I mean, has he tweeted anything yet? Like, was it funny? Uh, he's he tweeted anything? out the fo- a couple things. Uh, he tweeted out earlier on Monday, have a great week, exclamation uh-huh. mark. Uh, on Sunday, he said, I hope everyone had a great Sunday, exclamation mark. So this could nice. be like the Magic John, you know, Magic Johnson's Twitter account, which is just like, the most oh. vanilla account of all time. Uh, this is where we might be headed with Bobby Orr. Yeah, yeah I mean, probably Magic, not. Magic Johnson isn't a Trump supporter, so I don't think that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's that angle too. Do, do oh. either of you follow, like like Wayne Gretzky has an official Twitter no. account. Like do either no. of you follow Wayne Gretzky's account? I no. follow this old man who tweets pictures of the vegetables he grows in his garden and it's really cute. <laughs> Does he also say have a good Sunday? Yeah, <laughs> have a good Sunday. yeah. It's just like so. Add happy, some value. Add some just like happy Bobby weekend, Orr. everyone. Like here's this carrot that we grew for the last few months, and it's like this huge carrot, and it's really cute. I forget what his name is, um, but it's like the best Twitter account. But no, I don't follow Bobby Orr or Wayne Gretzky. I I follow yeah. the cute old guy with his garden because it's like freaking awesome. I also follow an account called Chunky Cats. Uh, as you can imagine, it's just pictures of chunky, chunky cats, cats. Yeah, with no context. It's it's great. I follow Dom, uh, not Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, sounds like a hard pass on Bobby or yeah. Or, I mean, uh, no, for both of you. No, and no. for me too. I need I, some. 
I need some value. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not seeing it. The early tweets are not. Uh, they're not looking that good. I'm not going to have a good Sunday just because Bobby Orr told me to have a good Sunday. I'm probably yeah. going to be miserable regardless. Yeah. So. All right, listen. We'll leave it there. By the way, real quick, Haley. There's there's no NHL games tonight on on Monday night. No hockey games. There was one scheduled. Chicago was supposed to host Calgary. That has uh, been postponed due to a COVID outbreak. Is there anything you can tell our listeners here before we sign off? Just in terms of like what you know about. The, the number of players or in terms of like, like are more games in danger of being uh, wiped off later this week for, uh, for the Calgary flames? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing new other than what the league and the flames have put out there. So the flames posted um, by PR, all of the players who are in protocol. So there's six players and one member of the training staff who are in COVID protocol right now. So the team is going to be, the whole facility, everything is shut down until the 16th. Uh, the games are going to be postponed. So they have Chicago, Nashville, and Tor- and I believe Toronto are all postponed. So those three games. Um, I think we might end up seeing, uh, I don't know if one of those games are going to get bumped up. Like I, I assume that the Flames are going to be playing this weekend. I think they'll end up playing shorthanded over the weekend, barring, you know, another six players or something going into protocol. And I don't even want to speculate like that. I, I think this is all, um, a, you know, an exercise of guessing. I think, you know, all we really know right now is that there's six players in protocol. The players who are confirmed positive are going to be in quarantine for 10 days because the team did not travel. So the fact that they were here in Canada when they all tested positive is 10 days versus 14 days at quarantine. If they had have gone to Chicago last night, which they were scheduled to, they did not travel to Chicago and all these games have been postponed um, through until the 16th. So everything else is just, just speculation and guessing. And uh, I don't know if it's responsible to do that. So we're kind of just going to wait and see. There'll be more testing to see if anyone else goes into protocol, I'm sure. Um, but but right now it's still the six players, which include Elias Lindholm, Andrew Manjupani, Chris Tanev, Nikita Zadorov, Brad Richardson, and, and forgive me, I, I don't have all six. But and then there's a member of the training staff as well. So we'll wait. We'll wait and see if any more come and and, and what happens in the coming days here. All right, listen, appreciate that update. And uh, Dom loved the the fact that you hung around here for the full uh, the full pod. So thanks for doing this. And uh, listen, man, happy uh, probably won't get you before Christmas. So happy holidays, and we really do have all of your contributions in 2021. I think you are the clubhouse leader in guest appearances on the Monday edition, right, Haley, of the Athletic Hockey Show. Dom Dom is like the clubhouse leader by a wide margin, at least eight nine. And he's so smart. Wow. We have him on, so he can talk, and I can just say, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Happy to be here, as always. (laughs) Awesome. Hey, listen, thanks for this, and thanks, everybody, for listening to this latest edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. want to remind you that you can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Get all the bonus content from our entire network. You can start with a 30-day free trial. That is just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic, $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash 